Hello, folks. We are back on the Boots on the Ground pod alongside Ben Conroy. I am Essex there. Before we get things started here, just some some full disclosure. Because of the turnaround from the Louisville game on Saturday to North Carolina on Monday, we are recording this podcast before the Saturday game at home at the Joel. Simply, I'm, I'm, I'm traveling this weekend, and with that quick turnaround, we're going to be posting this podcast right after the completion of the Louisville game to give you guys, the listeners, as much time as possible to listen to the pod, get prepared for a very, very big game on Monday in Chapel Hill against UNC. And and Ben, it is just that. It is a huge game for Wake Forest against the Tar Heels on Monday, especially coming off the debacle in Raleigh on Tuesday, which we covered in our previous podcast, episode 24. It's this. It's starting to get into that nitty-gritty for Wake Forest. and and. Of course, when, when things start to become super nitty nitty and gritty, you have to go play debatably one of the best teams in all of college basketball this season in the Tar Heels. Yeah, I mean, this Carolina team is, you know, like a Carolina team of old. They are a blue blood. They do so many things well. They are red hot right now. They have won seven consecutive games all by double digits. They are 6-0 and in ACC play. They have everything going for them. And like you said, Essex, this is a huge game for Wake Forest, a huge opportunity. The way I always like to describe these games is sort of playing with house money for the Deeks. No one is going to pick them to come in to Carolina and win this game. That makes it a little bit more fun. You can come in there. You can play loose. You can play free. You can, you know, focus on, you know, not playing scared, playing with energy, you know, showing that you can compete with the big boys, not only in the conference, but in the country. I mean, UNC is an incredible team. You look at the the metrics via Kempom. They're the number 16 team in the country on offense, which is already an astounding statistic. And even better on defense, number five in the nation. Offensively, effective field goal percentage, 51.8%, which is, is average, but... That doesn't tell the full story of the Tar Heels. You have 84 points per game. They're a team that does not turn the ball over often. They've got a really solid three-point percentage, and they are a team that moves very, very fast. So they have that really strong offense. And then the defense, where an effective field goal percentage is in the top 25, they're forcing teams to shoot 45% from the field. They defend the three-point line very well. It's all around a very, very strong team. It's not like some of these college basketball teams, Ben, where you know you have a great offense but a not-so-great defense. UNC has a great offense and an elite defense. And so that, as you said, presents a really tough game for the Deeks, but also an opportunity where they're going in and expectations aren't going to be all that high. You look at, I mean, the games that they've won, they're eighth in net, as we're recording this episode, four quad one wins. They've beaten Tennessee, Oklahoma, Clemson, took down NC State by 23 in PNC Arena. Of course, just a few days ago, Wake Forest could not do the same. They lost in PNC. The Tar Heels beat the Wolfpack by 23 in their own house. And then a few days before that, UNC took Syracuse to task beating them by 36 points. I mean, the final score against the Orange was 103 to 67 in an ACC game where Syracuse is not even close to being one of the bottom dwellers of the conference. Yet you have UNC defeating them by 
36 points. It's unbelievable. And so it's it's a testament to what this Tar Heel team is this year, and, and that is they they can beat you, and they can beat you bad. Yeah, and what I what is really, I think, special about this Carolina team is their versatility. You know, I've heard national analysts talk about this Carolina team and that they're very unique, and then they could beat you in a lot of different ways. So a couple of numbers that stand out to me about this Carolina team. So they're the the best scoring team in the ACC right now. They've overtaken Miami for that crown. Like you said, averaging nearly 84 points a game. But also to complement that, a number that backs up just how strong their defense has been, they allow a f- opposing field goal percentage of just 40%, which is good for second in the conference. So that what that tells you is that they are not a one-trick pony, and they've shown you can just look at the scores of their games and see that they are able to beat you in a lot of different ways. They beat a really, really good Tennessee team 100-92, to and then they go on the road and beat a solid Clemson team 65-55. to They can beat you in a rock fight. They can beat you in a track meet. This Carolina team has shown already this year that they can get the job done in a number of ways. Also, they are the best rebounding team in the conference. They lead the they lead the ACC in defensive rebounding, and they are top three in offensive rebounding. And something that we haven't talked about yet, they have the most attempted free throws in the ACC by 31 and have the most free throws made by 36. So they've made 36 more free throws through 17 games than any other team in the conference. This team plays physical. They get to the line. Wake Forest has struggled with foul trouble. This is an area where I could see Wake Forest potentially struggling in this game with Armando Baycott and the brand of physical basketball that he's playing this year. Um, so the, yeah, this, this Carolina team is incredibly well coached, incredibly disciplined. I think Hubert D- Davis has done a fantastic job with this group. I think Cormac Ryan was a great add out of the transfer portal. RJ Davis is having an ACC player of the year type season, averaging over 20 points a game, three and a half rebounds, three and a half assists, uh, 43 and a half percent from the field. And then Armando Baycott, you know, the leader, the heart and soul, of this team steady as ever, you know, 54, 54.3% from the field nearly 15 points, 10 and a half rebounds and almost two blocks a game. So this team has not only a one, two punch, but you know, a one, two, three punch of talent and discipline and veteran experience that can really just hit you where it hurts and beat you in a bunch of different ways. You mentioned the job that Hubert Davis has done. It's not only the coaching and in this new era of college basketball, it's just as much what you do off the court as what you do on. And so it's kind of that, that team formulation, right, that, that Hubert Davis has put together this year, especially after how things went last year for the Tar Heels, where, where things did certainly not end the way they probably had hoped. You got a team this year with three years, 3.15 years of D1 experience. That's number five in all of college basketball. And so that's also allowing them to have a, a decent amount of bench minutes, but a reduced it's kind of that happy medium where you you're getting some production off the bench, but you're not relying on your bench players too much because you have so much talent in that roster. And so I think just as much as how the team is performing, which is a little bit more the coaching aspect of the job, I think Hubert Davis has done a really, really strong job at at putting this team together, getting the Jimmies and Joes for this UNC Tar Heel team this year. So Really, really strong team. And talking about those Jimmys and Joes, you mentioned them, Ben. The, the first guy that you have to look at is, of course, R.J. Davis. A career year for R.J. I mean, you said 
ACC player of the year. I think that's a hundred percent valid. I think RJ Davis is well within range of an all American year, 34 minutes a game for the Tar Heels. So that just tells you how much of an impact he is that he's got to be on the court that much. He's averaging over 20 points per game. He's shooting an incredible 41.9% from three point range. And he's really, really good from free throw from the free throw line. So like the three pointers. So up this year, RJ Davis has 262 total field goal attempts already. That's, that's a lot of shots. He's taking a lot of shots. He is the, the engine that makes the North Carolina offense go. This number is to me even more astounding of those 262 shots, 124 from behind the three point arc. And he's made 52 of them. And then just to top it off, the last number I was saying, the charity stripe, 70 free throw attempts, 67 makes. It's an incredible output from your ball handling guard. That That is RJ Davis. He's he's a complete player. And, and I really do think he is as, as much talent as there is on this UNC roster. Without RJ Davis, I don't know where the Tar Heels are. He's that impactful of a player for me. I totally agree with you. I mean, you just think of for a team to have the potential to go make a deep March madness run. You have to have that guy that can go just get you a bucket when you need a bucket. I think far and away that is RJ Davis for this team. You just watch some guys play and you just think, wow, that's a shot maker. RJ Davis is just a guy who makes shots in big moments. And yeah, he's, you know, stepped up his efficiency from the three point line this year. That's super encouraging to see almost 96% from the foul line is just unbelievable. Um, you know, he's a really dominant guard, one of the more dominant guards Wake Forest will face all season. He's going to permit, he's going to pre- present a tremendous defensive challenge, I think, for Steve Forbes in this group. I'm very curious to see how they will guard him. I would imagine Hunter Salas would spend some time guarding him. We'll get into that a little bit more later. But yeah, I mean, RJ Davis and, and having, having a big man like Armando Baycott to feed the ball to as well. You know, RJ Davis is also their, their lead assist man with 3.5 assists a game is just, you know, unlocking an entirely you know, he, he stepped up his game to a new level this season. I think both of those guys have. You mentioned Armando Baycott as well. Another impactful player for the Tar Heels. And he certainly is adding to that D1 experience number that UNC has. It, it feels like he's been a member of the ACC since, you know, the conference started all these years ago. It feels like Armando Baycott's been around since then. minutes per game, 14.8 points per game, a really solid field goal percentage, just under 55%. And to me, the biggest number for Baycott, and we were kind of discussing it earlier, Ben, is those rebounds. So averaging 10.5 rebounds per game in the conference where things definitely get harder, you are not seeing a very large difference at all. You go from 10.5 to 10.3. So those numbers are carrying over on the boards for Armando Baycott. He was not stacking his numbers there against lesser opponents. He's got 52 offensive rebounds also. So leads the team by a solid margin. And he just attacks the offensive boards. Not like many players that I watch in this conference. So he is absolutely a player that you have to watch out for in a lot of facets of the game. You have his ability to score the ball, which is evident. You have his ability to go get a board and give UNC extra possessions, which probably lends itself to their ability to score a lot of points. And then you have his size, which makes him a relatively important player on the defensive end in that scheme. 
for UNC as well. So a complete player that I think complements RJ Davis really well. You have a big time guard and then you have a player down low who is equally as important. And those two guys, and I mean, there are a few more that I want to talk about, but it RJ Davis and Armando Baycott also play off of each other so well. There's that feeding into the post, which I think works really well. They did that a lot in the film I watched against Louisville. It's it's impressive that those two guys who are kind of the, the elder statesmen of this UNC basketball team, that they've come together so well and put their offense together in a way that you're going to be scoring a lot of points. Yeah, and score a lot of points they do. Also, something else to highlight about Armando Baycott is that he's attempted 93 free throws this year. So he's 74 of 93 from the line. Dude can straight up get to the foul line and really hurt you that way. And, you know, we talked about it in the last podcast. Efton Reed has really struggled getting in foul trouble. He's going to be the one shouldering most of the burden guarding Armando Baycott. Big test for Efton Reed. For Wake Forest to be able to compete in this game and have a chance to come away with a massive road victory, can Efton Reed stay out there on the court? Can he figure out how to defend and shut down one of the most dominant big men in the country in Armando Baycott without fouling? It will be something to see. That's going to be a matchup that I'm going to have my eye on all night long for this game. And, you know, I think I think this is, we'll get into this, I think it's an opportunity for Wake Forest to really, you know, after a truly painful loss against NC State, and we, like you said, we haven't, haven't been able to see the outcome of the Louisville game yet, but sort of an opportunity to re-cement yourself amongst the upper echelon of the ACC, depending on how you perform against UNC on Monday night. And so, of course, there's there's R.J. Davis and Armando Baycott, but I think there's a few other guys in this UNC lineup that I want to highlight before we move forward. Harrison Ingram is also a, a really good player for UNC. He's got a solid three-point shooting percentage for his size. 32 minutes a game, I talk about those starting minutes. He's a big part of that like Baycott brings down a lot of offensive rebounds and is a good ball distributor as well as a forward really good assist to turnover rate. And then freshman guard, Elliot Cadeau, he's giving 23 minutes per game as a freshman, as one of those starting guards, which I think is says a lot about his performance that he's started to build himself up, build himself up as a freshman in this star studded offense. And he's bringing, a lot to the team, mostly as a ball distributor, but getting the ball into the hands of the guys who can go like RJ Davis and Armando Baycott. I think that's great to have as a freshman guard. And then off the bench, the limited bench minutes for UNC, but they have some guys on the bench who are really, really good. You have Seth Trimble, Jalen Washington, and Jalen Withers, and all of them add a lot. I mean, Seth Trimble is giving you 17 minutes a game. Jalen Withers, 14 and all of them are shooting the ball really, really well. They're, of course, not shooting it as much as those big-time players like Davis and Baycott, but Trimble's shooting 48% from the field. Jalen Withers, 51% from the field. And Jalen Washington is 65% from the field. So you're getting good minutes out of the players that do come in off the bench. And they're guys who, when you need them to, can go get you a bucket. Yeah, I I think the you know the the four five six and seven options on this Carolina team are a big part of why they're so good. You know, Seth Trimble was on the roster last year, didn't get a whole lot of run, hadn't really come into his own yet as a player. Also, I think Elliot Cadeau is going to end up being a really really good college basketball player when all is said and done. I think he's already you know shown flashes this year and shown the potential of what he can turn into. I really I, I like Seth Trimble's game a lot. Watching on film, he's somebody that jumps out as someone who can make an explosive play. You know, only averages. 
5.8 points per game, but only playing 17 minutes, that's not nothing. That's, you know, a meaningful contribution. And he's also shooting 53.3% from beyond the arc, you know, not taking a ton of attempts, like you said, but still that's what, that's the, what a good bench player does in a major conference like the ACC. They come in in the limited minutes that they have and they make an immediate impact. For Wake Forest, we've seen that with Parker Fredrickson coming off the bench. Carolina also has the same in that they have several guys who can immediately be inserted into the game and make an impact and play not only at a meaningful level, but at an efficient level. They play at a level where you know the, the overall play of the team does not drop off when they get in the game. And that is what makes it so hard to beat this UNC team, in addition to all that star power you have in the starting lineup. Well, we've discussed the star power of this UNC Tar Heel team. It's certainly evident. And after the break, we're going to talk, be talking about if there's a way for, for Wake Forest to take, take down UNC in Chapel Hill, how are they going to do it? Where are the keys to the game? And finally, our predictions. But Ben, we're going to send this one to a break and have a segment we've been waiting for for a long time. Really excited for. And I'll let you send us to this next segment out of the break. All right, now we are very fortunate to welcome a very special guest to the show to help us preview Monday night's matchup between North Carolina and Wake Forest. He is a North Carolina native, a Sundrop enthusiast, a dedicated college hoops fan, a Carolina Tar Heel through and through, and last but not least, the 75th governor of the great state of North Carolina. We are thrilled to welcome Governor Roy Cooper to the pod. Governor, thank you for joining us. Well, Ben and Essex, thank you for inviting me. My boots are on the ground right now. I'm excited about talking with you. That's right. That's right. Boots on the ground here in North Carolina. So, Governor, first of all, just wanted to gauge your general thoughts on the Carolina team this year. They've jumped up the AP rankings, number four in the country at the time of recording this. They've won seven straight games. What do you think about Hubert Davis's squad this year? Well, obviously, there's a lot of hope in Chapel Hill right now, but I got to set the scene because I know who I'm talking with. My dad uh, was a 1949 Wake Forest graduate, and I grew up a Wake Forest basketball fan. I also liked Carolina, but I knew Wake Forest basketball through and through, and I've always had a very soft spot in my heart for Wake Forest. When and they're not playing Carolina, I'm always looking at Wake Forest and hoping that they do well. And uh, when, when I, w- I ended up, I got admitted to both Wake Forest and Carolina, ended up getting a scholarship to Carolina, decided to go to Carolina, but I, Wake Forest was very much in, in my sights. And I'll never forget when it was in the 70s, we would always have the Big Four tournament right before the season where Carolina State, Duke, and Wake Forest would play in Greensboro. And those that's when we could always get tickets to. Dean Smith hated it because Wake Forest usually won. And when I was at Chapel Hill, uh, it was Jerry Schellenberg and Rod Griffin were, were the great players at that time. And my dad remained an avid Wake Forest Demon Deacons fan through throughout his life. You know, he loved uh, his the players he loved were players. I know you guys know Wake Forest history, but he he was a big Lenny Chapel, Dickie Hemrick guy. And then uh, obviously he's is as he got older and things moved along, uh, Tim Duncan and Muggsy Bogues and Chris Paul and Randolph Childress, just amazing Wake Forest players and he used to love to call me up and gig me whenever Wake Forest would, would beat Carolina. And that happened 
with frequency <laughs> during the years, particularly with Childress and Duncan and 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 those teams. So, with with that backdrop in mind, as we go into the the analysis of the Wake Forest Carolina game, uh, I really like this Carolina team. Uh, many of my friends as as do as well because it it seems like they enjoy playing together. Uh, they have a real confidence that I think they've figured out how to win. I think Coach Davis has got a strong, strong seven man rotation. When you can bring uh, Seth Tremble and Jalen Withers off the bench. Uh, that's pretty good. And he's actually playing them. You know, he, when he first started, he had just an Ironman team that he kept most of the five out there that when we went to the national championship, but he's got seven that he plays a lot. And then he can also go to Paxson Wojcik and, and Zayden high as well. So he actually can do nine and they do some spot work, but I think RJ is, is uh, running on all cylinders. I think, Cadeau is getting more comfortable running the team. I think their defensive intensity is better than I have seen it in, in coach Davis's career. It may be one of the best defensive Carolina teams that I've seen in a, in a long time uh, with the way they work together. Uh, Ingram is just all over the floor and, and rebounds well. Uh, and, and if, you know, Cormac Ryan begins making three-pointers consistently. Uh, if Cadeau can make a three-pointer or two every once in a while, this would be a, a dangerous team that that really has a chance to to go to the, the final four, I think. It'll be a tough game Monday night, though. Uh, Wake Forest is, is a good team, and I'm glad to talk about them a little bit, too. Governor, you, you mentioned Hubert Davis as well. Specifically, what do you think about the job he's done since Roy Williams's retirement? It's impressive for the team just having bounced back the the way they have after last season. Well, I think uh, when you replace a coach who has won three national championships, that's a pretty hard thing to do. Um, and then to do it at a time when we have the transfer portal, uh, we have name, image, and likeness, we have a landscape of recruiting that is just changing really by the week uh, with the way things happen. I think he's done a spectacular job. And I think the thing about coach Davis is that most everybody agrees that he is just a good person. He's a good person. Uh, he was a tremendous basketball player. Uh, one of the great shooters of all time and obviously a great career in, in the NBA. So he's got the cred uh, with, with the players, I think, and uh, I think he's sort of finding himself too. I think he he understands that, you know, you you can attract some really good players to to Carolina, but you got to give them a chance to to play, and you you, you got to go outside your comfort zone and expand your rotation, particularly if you want to keep players uh, in in into the future. And I think he's he's sort of found that rhythm. This year, you know, that first that first year he came in and taking the team all the way uh, was extraordinary. And then last year, obviously, was 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 a terrible year and they really struggled to find their way. Uh, but but I think this year he's really found the formula. He's, he's got he's recruited some some good players who like playing together and like playing as a team. And 
So I think the heels are going to be formidable, formidable for the rest of the year. You never know. You never know. But I think there are a lot of high hopes in Chapel Hill right now. There absolutely was that that special <laughs> Final Four run with Hubert Davis at the helm. And I know you mentioned the Final Four earlier. Do you think the the ceiling for this team perhaps is is another run at the national championship this year with the squad they have? I, I think for sure. Um, the ceiling is the roof, as Michael Jordan has once said. I, I, I do think that this there's a, a lot of teams that uh, and, and, you know, with the way the NCAA basketball tournament is uh, one bad night and you're gone. So you, you never know. But but I do think with the consistency they've shown uh, with reduction of turnovers, uh, which has been strong with the transition game that they've been able to put together. I do, I do think this team has has a shot, and we'll and we'll see, we'll see as the season. And I think it helped too to play a strong schedule early. Uh, that they, they faced early adversity, having to play UConn and Kentucky and all, all of these teams that traditionally are pre- pretty good. Uh, and sometimes coaches don't really like that. I I liked it. I thought it was good. Got some early losses, but really learned about playing tough teams and and how that can be. Yes, certainly this Carolina team playing a a really strong brand of basketball right now going to be a tough test for anybody in the ACC and the country. We're going to move into some Wake Forest specific analysis here in a moment. Before that, Governor, you grew up right here in North Carolina. You went to UNC Chapel Hill for both undergrad and law school. And during that time, I'm sure you've watched a fair amount of Carolina basketball games. So I wanted to ask you, what's your favorite Carolina basketball memory that you can share with us today? I think it has to be the Walter Davis half court shot and the Carolina coming back eight points down with 17 seconds to play when we didn't even have a three point line in Carmichael auditorium against Duke. Uh, I was a kid. I was at home watching it on TV, but it was, it was just an amazing thing to happen. And I remember when I, when I ended up going to Carolina and the guy used to cut my hair, he tells me the story of having left that game. And he was there, got mad and left. And then the miracle happened. So I that was a that was a pretty special moment. Um and I I'll always remember that for sure. Governor, on the topic of the the Demon Deacons, just what are your thoughts on, on Wake Forest this year, the season they've had? And and what are you on the lookout for ahead of a, a really big matchup for them on Monday night? Well, Andrew Carr is the real deal. Uh, he can rebound. He can score. Uh, he's tough. That that NC State game was wild. And uh, it was one of those that I know Wake Forest wishes they could have that second half back. Um, turnovers hurt, I think. Uh, the the officials made some interesting decisions in, in, their, in their calls. And uh, so that was a that was a tough loss for for the Deacons uh, because I think uh, this is a team that can win some win some games. Uh, Boopy Miller is a a really good player. Uh, Hunter Salas can shoot the ball. Uh, I, I think Steve Forbes has put together a team that can win any night and can beat uh, a top ten uh, a top team any night. So I think it, I think uh, the the Tar Heels will be in for a battle because when Wake Forest puts it together and they limit their, their turnovers and they shoot the ball well, 
it's it's a good basketball team. Fun back. I haven't had a chance to watch them a lot, but I've I've watched some and um read obviously read about them. I, I do I do love ACC basketball and I I hope they do have a have a good season and have a, a real opportunity to do it. There have been some amazing Wake Forest NC State games over the over the years. It's it's uh that's a real, real rivalry that that uh, almost had a almost came to blows, I guess. It was a, a, a strange game. Yeah, certainly we spent a fair amount of time talking about the end of that game on our podcast. Um, I'll bet so you did. <laughs> there's a lot to unpack there with yeah, the, for the sure. six technical fouls and Kevin Keats getting ejected and the whole nine yards. So I know yeah. we only got you for a couple more minutes before we let you go. A little boots on the ground tradition here. We'd love to do a score prediction before each game on the podcast. Oh, wow. Governor, what are you predicting for the outcome of Monday night's game, Wake Forest versus North Carolina in Chapel Hill? So I'm I'm going to say that that this is going to be a 79-73 Tar Hill victory. I, I think I think it'll be a really good game. I, I think that this team can be due for a letdown. Um I I thought the Louisville game was that they were a little careless with the ball. They had a big lead. Uh, they they let them creep back into it. Uh, but you know, Dean Dome has been rocking. But I I think it'll be a good game. But that's that's the that's the prediction. Uh, I don't I don't think there's going to be a hundred point game by the by the Tar Heels here. I think this is going to be a I think Wake Forest, particularly after the NC State game, is going to be ready ready to play and it should be i'm glad it's not a nine o'clock game for god's sakes i'm, I'm seven o'clock games are, are a lot better and i may actually be able to go to the might i don't know i'll have to check my schedule i haven't been to but one carolina game this year i went to the tennessee game which was a, a really good game but i look forward to to being able to go to some more yeah, absolutely. I think we'll both be in attendance on Monday night. Uh, you heard it here first from the governor of North Carolina, 79-73 Tar Heel victory predicted <laughs> on Monday night. Governor, thank you for joining us. I, I do that on a Wake Forest podcast. What kind of politician am I? You know, <laughs> really think think about it. Think about that. But I, I appreciate it. And Ben, I you know, I don't know about that. It looks like Carolina blue coat to me or shirt or something. I don't know why you did that, but uh, you showing some deference or maybe I'm the bad feel, politician trying to make me feel comfortable. Is that what it is? Maybe I'm the bad politician here. Had to make you feel comfortable <laughs> in enemy territory. <laughs> I well, listen, I've, I've listened to some of your stuff. You guys are, are really good. And I, I really appreciate the chance uh, to, to get on with you. In fact, uh, someone asked one of our communications guys that said I was going to be on your podcast and they said, what, you know, Ben Conroy. So there, you know, you guys, you guys are already making a name for yourself and um, ha have fun this year. It should be a good year and keep, keep the analysis going guys. We will. And I, I speak for both of us when we say you are welcome back anytime you want to join. And we are very appreciative for you taking the time this morning. It's been great. Thanks governor. A lot of fun. Thanks guys. So that was governor Roy Cooper joining the show. Very appreciative of his time to come and speak with us on the Boots on the Ground pod. And now, Essex, we will get into sort of the nitty gritty of this podcast. We'll talk about how we think the Demon Deacons can get it done in Chapel Hill on Monday night. Well, Ben, with as we talked about all the star power 
that UNC has, <laughs> I have a lot of keys to this game. As I was getting prepared for this podcast tonight, I, you know, I traditionally for for the previews are I write over at, at BSD like to keep it to about three to four keys because you too many keys on the the key ring and and you can get lost. But this one, there's going to be a lot of keys. So I'll, I'll give a few and then I'll hit it over to you and then I'll close it out because I, if if people hear my voice too much, uh, we're going to have a problem. So first, first key I have is the fact that, as I said before, North Carolina does not turn teams over. That's kind of one of the things about their defense, even though their defense is so impressive, they really don't turn teams over a lot uh, per Kempom that turnover percentage on the opponent side, it's 16.7% of possessions. That's 238th in college basketball. So really one of the, I guess, lesser numbers that UNC has. And so why that's a key to the game for Wake Forest is don't give them that advantage. The past three games for the Demon Deacons taking out Louisville, we don't, we do not know how that game went yet. So Florida state, Virginia, NC state, Wake Forest has turned it over 20 times, 17 times, and 16 times. They've turned the ball over a lot. We talked about it enough in the last podcast. I don't need to bring it up anymore, but keep the ball under control. For one thing that North Carolina isn't necessarily great at, don't give the the, the UNC defense another thing that they can take away from you. So got to cut down on the turnovers and just not allow – the Tar Heels to take the ball away from you because those possessions are going to be so, so valuable against a team like this. Second, again, another pretty simple key is avoid the foul trouble. You mentioned it earlier, Ben, especially when it comes to Efton Reed, who's going to have a serious matchup on his hands against RJ Davis. You can't be having those avoidable fouls that got you to, to four with 10 minutes remaining against NC State where you Steve Forbes is forced to send you to the bench because he's afraid that you're going to foul out against a guy like Armando Baycott. You cannot be sitting on the bench. Wake Forest is going to need Efton Reed for every single minute that they can get out of him because of that size and the defensive presence that Efton brings to the court. And so, you know, it's been a little bit of an issue. There have been some, some fouls that were certainly avoidable. This is the game where you have to avoid them because if Wake Forest does not have Efton Reed, to guard against Armando Baycott, they are going to be in a world of hurt. My third key is hit the boards. UNC is a really good team at rebounding when it comes to both offense and defense. I talked about Armando Baycott, especially on offense. I talked about Ingram on offense. Both of them give UNC, as I mentioned before, those extra possessions. So you have to protect the boards on offense and not allow UNC again to get those extra possessions. And, If you can, find a way to crash the boards on offense. I think if you can find yourself with an opportunity to get second, third chance opportunities on the offensive end, try and get the ball in the bucket a few more times, that's certainly not going to hurt. Ben, I'll kick it over to you for the next few. Yeah, you know, I think for Wake, in order for Wake Forest to get the job done in this game and come away with a win, they're going to have to have truly like an outstanding performance in at least one aspect of the game. And I think that one opportunity that they will have to do that is from behind the three point line. So one of my keys is going to be get hot and stay hot from behind the three point line. 
I thought Wake shot the ball pretty well in spurts against NC State from behind the line. Andrew Carr made some big shots. Hunter Salas. They have a lot of guys on the roster that can shoot the three. But I think the key to getting hot and staying hot from behind the three-point line is finding a way to run your offense against this staunch North Carolina defense. You have to find a way to let the guards penetrate and kick it out to the other weapons out there on the perimeter. I think that is going to be a huge part of it. If Wake can get on a hot streak, even just for a couple minutes stretch, where you make a couple of threes and you don't have these stretches where you go ice cold, that is going to be one of the keys for Wake Forest staying in this game. And then the other thing for me is just going to be responding to Carolina's physicality. North Carolina plays a very, you know, gritty, physical, determined brand of basketball. Wake Forest is going to have to match that from the opening tip, especially on the road and from what will be a rowdy North Carolina crowd or they don't stand a chance in this game. Yeah, you kind of covered one of my my final keys there. So I'll, I'll quickly glide over it. It's just winning that paint bot battle with physicality, controlled physicality on defense. Afton and Andrew Carr against Baycott and Ingram. Those are the two bigs for Wake Forest that are going to go against the two bigs for UNC. You've got to have that physicality on defense, but it's got to be controlled. Again, avoiding the foul trouble. Also, finding a way somehow, some way to slow down RJ Davis. We mentioned it at the top of the broadcast. Not sure who is going to defend him. We both are thinking probably Hunter Salas, but some way have got to find a way to slow him down. You cannot have him scoring 20 points, 20 plus against you. He is, as I said, the guy that makes the UNC offense go. And so finding a way to even slightly slow him down might just be the difference if this comes into turns into a game where it's just a few baskets that could, could flip the result. If this game turns out that way, slowing down RJ Davis might just be the difference. And then the last one, you kind of talked about the crowd in, in your keys, Ben, is if you can, Silence the crowd early. The Dean Dome is an incredibly hard place to play a basketball game. It's a big arena, got a rowdy crowd, UNC fans, no good basketball, and they certainly like it when they're getting it right now from the Tar Heels. The Tar Heels are playing incredible basketball. So that place is going to be full. They're going to be rowdy. They're going to be excited, and they are going to do everything in their power to basically force Wake Forest off the court. And so... A, if you can find a way to silence the crowd early by getting a hot start and possibly pushing an early lead, getting that crowd out of the game, that'd be huge. And B, when that crowd inevitably gets loud and puts a lot of pressure on you, there's a way to silence the crowd in your mind and not let that crowd impact you. I think both of the, you know both of those things when it comes to the crowd, not allowing them to affect your game is going to be pretty important, especially if you saw how the crowd affected the game in Raleigh on Tuesday. Yeah, agreed. I mean, I, I said it, you know, after NC State, Wake Forest has to find a way to win games on the road in order for them to get back to the NCAA tournament this season. And obviously this is as tall an order as you will receive in the ACC to go on the road and beat Carolina. You know, Duke is one of the other atmospheres that compares. Both teams are in the top 10 this year. So, you know, if you can find a way to somehow get the win, beat potentially, you know, at the time they play this game, a top five team in the country, then, you know, there's no telling what it could do for morale around the program, you know, in the conference, respect nationally for this team to go on the road and beat North Carolina. So, you know, it is a, it is another great and fun opportunity for Wake Forest, and I'm really excited to watch this one. Well, Ben, we talked about the ways 
that Wake Forest can win, the things that will inevitably impact the game for the Demon Deacons if they can get out of Chapel Hill with an all-important W, as you said. Now, the question is, will they do it? It's prediction time on the Boots on the Ground pod. I'll kick it to you first. Yeah, I mean, I've obviously thought a lot about this game. You and I are both going to be in attendance, excited to watch it happen. It would be a fantastic win for this Wake Forest team. I just I just don't know if they're I just don't think at right now they're at a stage in the season where they're gonna go in and beat this Carolina team with how well they're playing. So, you know, I don't I certainly like the game to be competitive. I think Wake will go in there and compete. Um in the end, I just think, you know, that that combo that we've talked about all podcasts along of RJ Davis and Armando Baycott and then sort of that third element of the crowd being mixed in there. I just I don't I don't foresee Wake coming away with a win in this game. I think that Carolina takes it by nine. I'm gonna go 83-74 Carolina. I have to agree with you, Ben. I think from a pure percentage look at it, UNC's definitely got a far better chance of winning this basketball game. Right now, Ken Palm has it where Wake Forest has an 18 percent chance to win this game on in Chapel Hill on Monday night. I think before I will go to my prediction, I do want to stipulate, I think Wake Forest has a shot here. And I know you feel that way as well, Ben, that, that Wake Forest has a shot. They're just probably not going to make the shot. But a lot of the keys to the game, I think if Wake Forest can complete those keys, if they can have that offense where they're moving the ball, that's a big thing for me is getting that ball movement that's going to be big for Wake Forest. Not allowing the offense to get stagnant, which happened against NC State. I think if Wake Forest can play their offensive scheme, and I think if they can play the right kind of defense, where, as they've shown, they can be physical. Efton Reed can be physical. Andrew Carr can be physical. They can be really stingy on guards, especially if they find the right person to cover R.J. Davis and give him a heck of a 40 minutes then I think the opportunity is there if Wake Forest has the offense and the defense that they've shown in stretches that makes them such a good basketball team when it's all working together and you avoid the mistakes, you avoid the bad basketball that we've seen from Wake Forest sometimes and especially more recently, then I do think Wake Forest can win in Chapel Hill on Monday. But that's a tall task. And so as much as I want to sit here and say, hey, Wake Forest is going to go in and they're going to beat UNC in a humongous nationally televised basketball game. Whereas you said, Ben, it's an opportunity to put Wake Forest right on the map. I think it's possible, but I can't sit here and say that's going to happen. I think UNC is just too good of a basketball team. They have too many ways that they can beat you. And in order for Wake Forest to win, they're going to have to play perfect basketball. And so I can't sit here and say that when you need to play perfect basketball, that you're going to win. So I think Wake Forest has a shot, but I'm going to have to take UNC, a very similar scoreline as what you said, Ben. I've got the Tar Heels taking the win, 82-74. That'll be all for us on the Boots on the Ground podcast today. We've got a nice little break with the bye week coming up for Wake Forest. Over a week until they play their next game after UNC. Next game will be Wednesday, January 31st, an away trip at Pittsburgh. So we'll be able to take a little bit of a break, but of course we will recap everything that happens in Chapel Hill on Monday and then get you prepared 
for the Panthers when that game comes up on the final day of January. Thank you all for joining us on the Boots on the Ground pod. A huge thank you to North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper. Alongside Ben Conroy, I've been Essex Thayer. See you all soon.